Good morning. How's everybody this morning? Kind of said it in my prayer, but I'm still a little bit excited from last week. Anybody else? That was a phenomenal worship service last week, Easter celebration. And you want to know a secret? He's still risen, right? It wasn't just last week. It's today. It's every day. If you have a Bible, John 18, 37 is where we're going to be this morning. John 18, 37 and 38. We're going to then be in Luke 9, 23. So if you want to find both of those, John 18, 37 and 38. If you need a Bible, slip a hand up. We'll have some ushers coming down the aisles. I'll get one to you. You can borrow it this morning if you need it. Glad you're here worshiping with us and those joining us online and those in kindred and in traditions. I love that we're in different places, but we're one church and we're worshiping together. Today, I am beginning a new six-week series called Bless. Uh, this series is all about our, our posture towards people. And I think it's a great series post-Easter, but also leading into our summer months. It's about our posture towards people. And the purpose of this series is to challenge us to pray for others. That's the B, begin with prayer. L is listen to others. And the E is eat with others. We like that one. And the first S is serve others. And the second S is share your story about Jesus. Begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve, share. Most of us know how to uh, pray for people, and most of us know someone who doesn't know Jesus. I think if I just asked that question, everybody would raise your hand, right? Yeah, I know somebody who doesn't know Jesus that I'm praying would come to know Jesus. But this series will challenge us to go beyond just praying for people. And it'll invite us to move into the unfamiliar and the uncomfortable. Who are the people that have blessed your life? Who are the people that prayed for you, that listened to you, that took time for you, had a meal with you, that served you, that shared with you the good news of Jesus? If, I, if you just had to answer that question, who are those people? Uh, in the last couple of weeks, I've received a couple of emails from students at a school here in town and uh, I thought that I would just uh, share the answers to these questions because I think it answers that question for me. And the first question uh, was, when did you start trusting in God? And my answer was, I trusted Jesus to be my savior when I was seven years old. But it was when I was a sophomore in high school that I rededicated my life, that's a word we use, or when I truly understood the gospel, the depth of the gospel message, and I committed to following him. The next question was, what Bible verse helps you? And I said, Joshua 1.9 is one of them. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. The third question was, when was a time when your faith got rocky? And I answered that question during my freshman and sophomore years in high school. Another question was, why do you trust in God? And I said, because he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the author and the perfecter of my faith, and I need him. And then the last question was, when was the time God really called out to you? And I says, I sense the Lord's leading often. I can remember a time in 2012 when he was especially near. He revealed himself to me in powerful ways. 
and I was changed as a result. And that's where, if some of you will remember that R-E-A-L, relying on God, emptied of self, authentic in relationship, light of world. That's, that's a season in my life uh, where that came out of. But when I have to think about who was it in my life that blessed me, I would have to say my youth pastor. You see, I grew up in kind of a dysfunctional home and I had a youth pastor who kind of took me under his wing and, and shepherded me and, and discipled me, but he was the one who was praying for me. He was the one who took the time to listen and have conversation and to sit down and have a meal together, spend time together, and, and he was the one who served me and, and eventually shared the story of Christ with me. Who is that for you? What does it mean and look like to live our lives on mission with Jesus? Well, first we must understand Jesus' mission. What is his mission? Why did he come to earth? So before we get into the B-L-E-S-S -S over the next several weeks, I wanna begin the series by talking about the mission of Christ because I think we have to understand our mission. So his mission, let's talk about that first. We're gonna be in John 18, 37 and 38 in just a second. But Jesus' mission, in the Truth Project, an apologetic series that came out a number of years ago. Anybody familiar with that? The Truth Project, a few of you. It came out a number of years ago. A question gets posed in the very first section of that study. It's a question that sets up the whole rest of the series. It's a question that is important to have an answer to if we're gonna understand our, our mission and purpose for being here on this earth. And here's the question that gets raised in the very first section, right out of the gates. Why did Jesus come into the world? It's an apologetic series, so it's the ability to be able to defend our faith, and so what would you say? Because until we understand Jesus' mission, we'll never understand our own. Many people would quickly answer for that question. Uh, some might say uh, to save people from their sins, or someone else might say um, he came uh, not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many, and both are great and both are accurate answers. But what about John 18, 37 and 38? And I suppose maybe you're wondering what does it say, right? Hopefully you're there. Listen to what it says. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everywhere, everyone on this side of the truth listens to me. What is truth, retorted Pilate. Pilate's question has been ringing in, in the ears of billions ever since, what is truth? If one of Jesus' primary reasons for coming into this world was to testify to the truth, so he answers that question, point blank, to testify to the truth, what is it? When Pilate said, you are a king then, Jesus answered this affirming Pilate's statement by saying, you say that I'm a king. Now in plain English, what he was essentially saying to Pilate is this, what you said is correct, I am a king. Let's unpack that a bit because it's not the first answer many would give to the question, why did Jesus come into the world? To understand Jesus' answer, we have to look back a few verses. We have to understand the context of what was happening here. So we go back to verse 33. It says this, Pilate then went back inside to the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? 
And Jesus said, is that your own idea? Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you've done? And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, but now my kingdom is from another place. Pilate was essentially asking Jesus if he really claimed to be a king. And Jesus answered Pilate's question with a question. And I suppose if you're Jesus, you can do that because we're told not to do that, right? Never answer a question with a question, but he did. Jesus said, are you saying this on your own? Or did other people tell you about me? But to understand what was going on here, you have to put yourself in Pilate's shoes, who was the the Roman governor. Pilate's question makes sense from his perspective because he essentially was saying, "Uh, Jesus, I really need to know, are you a king? Because if you are a king, I'm afraid that you're going to lead a rebellion. But the word king had to get defined because the Jews were using it one way and Pilate was hearing it another way. The Jews were using the word king to mean their religious leader. Israel at the time was was a captive nation under Roman rule. And a rival king would have threatened Rome. Pilate then puts it back on Jesus. Your own people have handed you over. What have you done? By saying this, Pilate was giving away the fact that this interrogation that he he was uh, talking to Jesus and asking all these questions really wasn't of his own. He was motivated by the Jews. Pilate was just going through the motions, performing a necessary task, uh, uh, trying to appease the people. Then Jesus answered the question by saying, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, but now my kingdom is from another place. So Pilate got his answer. He asked the question and Jesus answered. He got his answer. Maybe not one that that he was expecting, but nonetheless, he got an answer. Jesus essentially said, I am a king, but not from here. Now, if you were in conversation with somebody and you were just in conversation and they said that to you, I am a king, but not from here. What would you do? You'd probably take out your phone and call 911, right? Because you would think this person's a little bit off kilter, this person's a little bit crazy. I would imagine Pilate just stood there staring at Jesus kind of with this dumbfounded look on his face, trying to figure out what in the world is Jesus saying? Well, what in the world was he saying? Jesus was introducing to Pilate a kingdom that he, Jesus, represented. A kingdom that was defined by all that Jesus had had done and would do as the Son of God. A kingdom where he possessed all power and authority And at this time, this moment in time, the conversation between Jesus and Pilate preceded his death and his resurrection. So this is happening before then. So go pre-Easter. 
But that didn't stop Jesus from planting this, this flag, from taking a flag in this conversation with Pilate and saying, no, you're right, I am a king. And it's as though he took a flag and planted it in his kingdom. And he said, yes, I am a king in my own kingdom. In Matthew 6, Jesus teaches us regarding this kingdom. Remember, we're seeking to understand the mission of Jesus' life through all of this. I'm gonna read Matthew 6, 25 through 34. It's a few verses. Some of you maybe are familiar with this. Some of you will, maybe you've never heard it before. Um, But this is a passage of scripture that I would often direct people to if they said, hey, I'm struggling with this or I'm struggling with that or I don't know what to do about this. I just want you to hear this and be reminded as we're seeking to understand Jesus' kingdom. He says this, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Okay, right there, right? Do you worry about your life? How many of you are worrying right now about something? Right out of the gate, Jesus says this, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, is, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Well, this is humbling, right? We sit and we worry and we worry and worry, and what are we thinking? Oh, it's going to give us an extra hour of life. And Jesus said, no. It's not. And then verse 28, he goes on, he says, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. And then here it is, here it is. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen to that. But seek first his kingdom, this kingdom of God, this kingdom of Jesus, where he's planted the flag and said, that's where I'm a king. To seek God's kingdom isn't simply a place. I had to be reminded of this this week because often when we hear that, we we hear the word kingdom and we think, oh, it's a place. Seek the kingdom of God. It's where Jesus lives. To seek God's kingdom isn't simply a place we refer to as heaven where we will one day spend eternity. God's kingdom is more about the rule of Christ in our hearts and minds. It is to acknowledge and seek after Jesus' reign in our lives and to acknowledge his sovereign power and authority over us and in us. That's a great reminder, friends. This kingdom isn't necessarily just a place where we will spend eternity. It's about the rule of Christ in us now. 
And this is where it gets real for us. Jesus has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and and has brought us into the kingdom of light, his own kingdom. Where is the kingdom of God? It is wherever Jesus' rule is acknowledged. That is why you will hear me say on occasion, we are experiencing kingdom-like effects. When we allow Jesus to rule in our hearts and lives, we are getting a taste of what the final kingdom will be like. He doesn't become our king one day. He is our king today, right now. There you go, Pilate. Does that make sense? Chuck Colson says it this way regarding the kingdom effect. He says, that means that the Christian's goal is not to strive to rule, but to be ruled. And I have to ask myself, am I striving to be ruled? Talk about counterculture. Back to the mission of Jesus. You are a king then, said Pilate, as though to say, I knew it. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king? In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on this side of truth listens to me. I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. Jesus' answer reveals the the true nature of his kingdom and it reveals the true nature of his mission. It was not to come and assert power, not to collect armies, not to subdue nations in battle. It was simply to present truth to men. and to exercise dominion by truth. Because he knew, and we now know, because he told us, truth will set you free. Truth and only truth can restrain the wicked and the wickedness. Only truth can convince the sinner. Only truth can convert the heart. Only truth can guide and lead his people. Only truth can sanctify us. Truth does not force us to do or be anything. It reveals to us that we are sinners and Jesus is merciful. That's what truth does. It reveals that we need a redeemer and Jesus paid the price. That's what truth does. Truth shows us that we need a king and it's not us. If his mission was to perform miracles, I'd be really impressed. How about you? If his mission was to serve, we'd all be thankful. If his mission was to just love, we'd all be filled up. But his mission was so much more. Truth gives him credibility. So standing before Pilate was Jesus, and he's the very one who said these words, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Pilate knew he was innocent of any crime. But the more, here's the more troubling thought, is that Pilate recognized the truth and he rejected it. It was right in front of him and he rejected it. 
It is certainly a tragedy when someone fails to recognize the truth. But it's even worse when a person recognizes the truth and they reject it and they say no. Pilate tried four times. He tried to put the responsibility on others. He tried to escape the pressure so he could let Jesus go. He tried to compromise by having Jesus flogged. He tried to gain the sympathy of Jesus' accusers. Everyone has to decide what to do with Jesus. Friends, you have to decide what to do with Jesus. And Pilate let everyone else decide for him. He stood face to face with truth and he rejected it. Are we going to allow people to decide for us? Are we going to allow the culture to decide for us? Are we going to allow the majority to decide for us? However you want to look at it, Pilate's decision was just one more step in the fulfillment of Jesus' mission. Pilate asked a follow-up, a kind of a cynical question. What is truth? Meaning that truth is relative. All truth is whatever we as Romans want it to be. We'll decide that. Truth is whatever the majority believe. Pilate's question has been ringing in the ears of billions of people ever since. Jesus was fully aware that when there is no absolute truth, there is no compass, right? If there's no absolute truth, we're experiencing this every single day, if there's no absolute truth, there is no compass. With no moral compass, as the saying goes, all hell breaks loose. So Jesus' mission was to testify about who he is and the kingdom of which he is the king. That's all, that's all. Sometimes we allow the topic of the day to consume us. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Look, friends, when we find ourselves immersed in him, we find freedom and peace. That's where we find it. Who are we looking to for answers? I don't have all the answers. Pastor Anthony, you have all the answers? He doesn't have all the answers. Pastor Jonas doesn't have all the answers. Pastor Craig, Pastor Stephen, Pastor, nobody. We don't have all the answers. Our elders don't have all the answers. We don't have all the answers. And you're like, well, that's why I come to church. I thought you had all the answers. I'm really sorry to disappoint you. One of my biggest turnoffs is when a person thinks they have all the answers. Because I'm reminded of this passage that Jesus is the truth, period. Let's talk about our mission. Then I'm gonna go to Luke 9.23. The question is this, what happens when his mission becomes our mission? And the answer to that is, everything changes. 
Sometimes we get so distracted by our own mission, we fail to see what's happening around us. One time we were out looking for a car for our oldest daughter, and we'd gone to one car lot and another car lot, and, and uh, we kind of found this car that, um, you know, she kind of liked, and we kind of liked, and we're like, well, let's take it for a test drive, and Lori was busy in a texting conversation that she couldn't get out of, and it was kind of cold. I remember it was kind of rainy, and, and so, um, she gets in the car ahead of everybody. She's sitting in the front passenger seat and then uh, the back door opens and, and uh, the salesman gets in and sits down. And in her texting conversation, she said, well, babe, what do you think? He's like, uh, your husband's still, <laughs> your husband's out there, I'm not your babe, <laughs> right? Sometimes we get so distracted that we fail to see what's happening around us. Jesus knew his mission inside and out. There was, no, there was no hesitation in his voice. There was no waffling, no wavering, no brain fog. His mission was the only filter that he used. It was like a strainer for every single decision. He knew his strainer. I'm gonna come back to this in a minute, but what is your strainer? What are you using to run everything through? This should be your mission. And your mission should decide and help you determine everything about life. And, and, and Jesus said, uh, my mission is I come to testify to the truth and everything's gonna go through this. His mission was the only filter that he used. Urgency in our life crystallizes our mission. If you've ever been in an urgent situation, a challenging time or, or something that just came out of nowhere, it feels like whatever it is, uh, urgency. When you, you know what I mean when I say the word urgency. So urgency in your life, it'll crystallize your mission in a hurry because it will force you to say, what is it you're using to filter everything in this life? Wouldn't it be nice to know our mission? A mission that runs deeper than our hobbies and our interests, a mission that penetrates us at the core, a mission we can't shake, a mission that is on the tip of our tongue always, a mission that wakes us up, a mission that drives us, that, that, that helps us ignore the squirrels in life, you know, when we're like, we're going this way and there's a squirrel, we're over here and we're over here and we're over here. A mission that gives us a reason, a mission that holds our attention, a mission that trumps everything else. By the way, when I use that word trumps, I use that a lot. Uh, last time I used that, someone came out and they said, what, you, I thought you weren't political. You mentioned Trump. Now listen closely. I didn't mention President Trump. I said that trumps every want. Did you catch that? What I'm about to say, I say because I know it firsthand. If we're not careful, we can assume our mission in this life is to focus our attention and give all of our energy to and spend all of our resources on whatever makes us happy. That is not our mission. Before we know it, we've built our own mission strainer. If you really wanna know if you're on mission, 
you have to consider Luke 9.23 as your strainer. Because it affects your decisions, your posture, and your attitude. It reads, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. There's your mission strainer. It's one verse. Why am I here? Jesus answered his question, why am I here? If I could just say, because I wanna deny myself, I wanna take up my cross, I wanna follow him. That's, that's my mission. Three quick things, it's about attitude. It says deny themselves. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. So it's this idea of, of on one hand, we have, to, we have to confess Jesus as Christ and Savior and Lord in our lives. We have to elevate that. And on the other hand, we must deny ourselves. Exalt one and deny the other. In other words, we have to forget about ourselves. C.S. Lewis wrote this. The more we let God take us over, the more truly ourselves we become. It means to acknowledge and accept completely Christ in us. There's that rule again, that king. There is that king and kingdom thing again. Every believer in Christ has a choice to make in regards to this matter. Either we go on living and we go on living trying to be our own king and build our own kingdom, or we surrender ourselves to the kingship of Jesus Christ in our life, and we say, build your kingdom. In fact, that we sing that song, right? Build your kingdom here. Will I reign or will Christ reign in me? The second one, it's about identification. Take up your cross. Jesus said, if you should come after me, this is what you need to know. You must first deny yourself, and secondly, you have to take up your cross. And so Luke adds this word daily. He takes it a step further. The word daily is not meant to be, oh, if you want to, or it's symbolic, or kind of describes this. No, literally daily, he's saying you have to surrender your life daily. Imagine every morning when you get out of bed, and those are the first words and first thoughts, and you said, I surrender my life today to you, King Jesus. It's a process of laying down our lives on the altar. And the decision is, will I carry my cross today? Will I live my life today identifying I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power unto salvation? Third one, it's about direction, follow me. Following Christ means to abide, to remain. How do we follow Christ in a practical sense? We seek to know where he is working and we ask him to lead us. We live through the strainer. And it's a hard question and I had to wrestle with this myself. When is the last time you made a decision? I want you just to think of something, about something. Something that, you know, I'm, I'm not talking about, uh, should we have ham or turkey? Or should we park here or there? I'm talking about a decision. You know, just a, 
When's the last time you made a decision? My follow-up question is this. Did you ask Jesus about it? That's what he's saying. He's saying, you, if, if, you gotta follow me. So we can't follow if we're not, if we're not asking. In this one verse, Jesus clears up any confusion surrounding our mission on this earth. He hands us a new strainer that we can use to filter everything in this life through. Friends, before we can move down this path of begin with prayer, listen to other people, eat with other people, serve other people, share your story with other people, before we can even move down that path, we have to know why we're here. I hope that this helps. Let me leave you with the one thing. It's a statement and then it's the same verse in a different version. Know your mission. Luke 9, 23, then he told them what they could expect for themselves. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat, I am. Don't run from suffering, embrace it, follow me and I will show you how. God, thank you for your word and um, just the power of understanding, um, Jesus, what your mission is. You made it crystal clear. You, you, you were point blanked and, and you knew it. I've come to testify to the truth. The truth that I am a king and I have a kingdom. And then you call us to that. God, may everything about our lives show people and lead people and encourage people in that direction. But may we first grasp and wrestle with and understand our own mission because all of us quite often ask that question. And we say, why am I here? And sometimes, like me, I am guilty of answering that question in my own heart based on what my hobbies are or what my, what my passions are or what my strengths are or how I spend my time or my money, that's why I'm here. That's not why we're here. That's not why I'm here. I'm here to deny myself, to identify with you and to follow you because I want you to be my king. And I want to experience what you describe as a kingdom in my life, and that's simply when I allow you to rule my life. In Jesus' name, amen.